Today I'm going to be talking about playing a character with different stats than you have, everyday tasks to improve your DMing, and analyzing character options. This is Dungeon Man Dragon Master. It's the Dragon Master! So video games are a thing, right? And I just want to point out how silly it would be if you were playing like a Mario game, and instead of jumping three to four times his height when you press the jump button, he only jumped like a quarter or a third of his height when you hit the jump button. Or if you're playing Assassin's Creed, and you can't just jump off a building into a hay bale and survive that. And let's not forget that Sherlock Holmes exists, right? The point of all these games is that you get to do something that you normally can't do. Now, D&D is kind of different, but the point is still that you can be anything. What do you do when you're playing a character that has different stats than you have? Well, it, it kind of more applies to the mental abilities than it does the physical abilities. For example, if you have high strength in-game but not in real life, you can say, oh, I still punch that thing, and it's really hard. Uh, similar with Dex, I just do a backflip. Similar with Khan, I can hold my breath for three minutes, right? But the other three are a little different because the entire game of Dungeons & Dragons is played with your mind. There's no other things that help you out. So high mental stats just essentially make it so that you don't have to work as hard in playing the game. If you have high intelligence, you don't have to figure out whatever that is. If you have high wisdom, you don't have to understand everything. If you have high charisma, you don't have to use the right words when you're trying to convince somebody of something, etc., etc. That's the basic concept of it. And the main thing you're going to want to do is chat with your DM about it. But we'll get there in a minute. So what about high intelligence? See, intelligence is mostly about knowledge. Uh, what does your character know? Well, you don't have to know it ahead of time. Your character will know it, you'll make a roll, and your DM will tell you. Uh, most of the time, your DM is going to have your roll for that kind of thing. Arcana, history, nature, religion, all of those are just what do you know about those categories. And if you say to your DM, hey, do I know anything about this? They'll have you roll for it, and you'll either be told or not. It's pretty quick along those lines. The difference is investigation. That's the actual separation between player and character. Just inform your DM that you're investigating and ask what you find out. You don't have to be able to look at the picture that your DM gives you and figure out the puzzle or find the pattern. That's not your job anymore if you have a high intelligence character. You're just kind of getting that help with those. Similar to wisdom, right? Wisdom kind of covers a lot. Let's say your animal handling, medicine, and survival checks. They're basic roles. You really don't have to do anything. It doesn't matter how good with dogs you are. If your character doesn't have high animal handling, he might get bit. It doesn't matter if you're a doctor. In game, it's a different story. The medicine check is different. Same with survival. I don't care if you know how to make a bear trap or a lean-to or a treehouse in a matter of 10 seconds, your character might not. So you're going to have to roll either way. With insight, uh, you kind of have to depend on your DM f whether you're making a roll for it or not. If you're making a roll for it, then it doesn't really matter. It's an insight check. If you have good insight, you'll get it. If you're not making an insight check, then it kind of depends on how good at role play your DM is. If they're great at it, then you'll be able to tell whether or not they are quote unquote lying. If they're not, then you have to go based on what you know of your DM and you're kind of getting out of the game. So again, insight just means that you don't really have to depend on those things. If you roll for it, 
then you'll know. And of course, then there's charisma. And charisma is the most difficult one to be separate on. Because look, I feel as though a lot of DMs don't seem to like doing all of the social roles because, well, why would you? You're just talking to each other. You're having a conversation. You're getting involved in a role and a scene, and you're just handling it that way. So if you say something dumb, whoops. But what is saying something dumb if you've got high charisma, right? Charisma is more about how you say something than what you say. If I tell you someone said there's a dog over there, there are about 12 different ways that somebody could say there's a dog over there. There's a dog over there. Like they're scared about, oh my God, it's running at us. There's a dog over there. Oh my goodness, it's so cute, right? There's a billion different ways for it to happen. If you say in character to another character, I think you should join our group. Okay, you said the words, I think you should join our group. But how did your character say it? If you're completely role-playing it, then it's just a little bit of suspension of disbelief. But you have to think about what the other character is hearing when you make those decisions. And that's what charisma is to me. A high charisma character, you get to pretty much say whatever you want and let the roles deal with it. Deception is the easiest one to pull off. All you have to do is lie and then make a roll. You don't have to be a good liar. You don't have to worry about if you have a tell, maybe your eye twitches when you lie, right? You don't have to worry about that because if your character has high deception and you roll really well, there isn't a tell. And the person who you are trying to deceive isn't going to pick up on it. So that one's kind of easy. Performance usually isn't performed, generally speaking, if you're going to like go into the middle of a field and play your loot. Uh, your DM's not going to be like, okay, here's a loot. Let's see what you can do. That's, that's a little silly. Intimidation and persuasion are the difficult ones for charisma. If you're not intimidating, it's hard to intimidate your DM. If you're not persuasive, it's going to be hard to persuade your DM. That requires DM cooperation. You have to say, look, please ignore what I'm saying. I'm not good at this, but my character is. I need to roll it. I need to be allowed to roll the die and say whether or not the thing that I just said actually worked on them. So how do we fix it? It's pretty easy, actually. You just got to be open and honest with your DM. I've talked before about squashing the DM versus player vibe, but this is 100% the moment where it's required. This is one of the biggest reasons why squashing the DM versus player vibe is important, because if not, you don't really get to play characters that have different mental stats than you. You have to figure it out on your own. You're basically just playing a video game where you have to solve the puzzle. You have to say all the right words. You have to figure everything out. But all the physical stuff is not a big deal because you're sitting on your couch, right? Just remember, your DM wants you to succeed. And if they don't want you to succeed, you're probably not going to have much fun in the game anyway. From the beginning, tell them you're building that way. And you're not super comfortable with your actual abilities in those regards. If you're not good at puzzles and you're building, let's say, a wizard who's going to have really high intelligence and would be able to figure that stuff out, talk to your DM ahead of time. Hey, man, I'm just not really comfortable with my ability to solve puzzles, but I, I want to build a character that's good at that kind of thing. I want to feel like I can do that. So is there a way that we can work around this? And if your DM is a good dude in any way, that DM is going to say to you, yeah, dude, we'll, we'll make that work. I want you to feel the success of being able to do that. And they'll figure it out. Honestly, it might come to the point where they're just privately telling you certain little hints so that everybody can't figure it out. But you can look like the hero because you've got the high intelligence character. 
you have to build who you want to build to have the experience you want to have. And if those stats don't line up with your abilities, be honest. You'll figure it out, and it's going to be a great game, I promise. I'm going to level with you here, and I think everyone's going to agree with me. No DM is perfect sans possibly Matt Mercer. We all want to get better. We should all try to be students of the game as often as possible. Uh, but who's got the time to just dedicate into researching DM skills? Except a, a D&D podcaster. Oops. Think about the comparison between the player and the DM. A player is able to interact with the world around them and make active decisions. Oh, I'm standing in a room with these things. I want to do that. I want to do that. I want to do that, right? They're able to find a goal and take steps to complete that goal. A DM has to understand the world around them. They have to know, if someone does that, what's going to happen? If someone does that, what's going to happen? If I grab this door, is it going to open or not? If I punch this wall, is there going to be a hole in it? Is it going to do nothing and hurt my hand? Is it going to completely shatter and the wall is going to go away? Is it going to completely shatter and the house is going to break? You have to know those things. It's understanding the rest of the world. And there are everyday tasks that you can do to improve your DM skills. And yes, this is going to get a little bit silly, but we'll start with the easy one. The first thing, and I do this all the time, and I don't know if it annoys people or not, but I will continue to do it because I think it's fun, is translate real life into D&D terms. If you do something or see someone do something, what's the skill check or the skill save? If I'm going to try and convince my dog to come here so I can give it something, is that an animal handling check? Probably. Do I get advantage on that check if I'm holding food? 100% I do, right? That's how you figure those kinds of things out. It's bringing real logic into D&D. Um, the other one that I like is going along with the pet thing. What does your pet's stat block look like, right? Or any creature that you might find. What does their stat block look like? Uh, my dog, what's her AC? What's her HP, right? It's probably relatively low HP, semi-decent AC. She's a little squirrely. Uh, abilities? Does she have like really high charisma because it's super easy for her to convince you to give her extra food? Or does she have really, you know, low strength because jumping up onto the couch is sometimes a hassle? It's not for mine, but still. What about any special features? Are there any interesting things that your pet can do? Uh, does your, I don't know, chameleon have the ability to walk upside down on graded things? Well, that may be a special spider walk kind of thing, right? Uh, what about attack and damage modifiers? Are they actually going to be able to hurt somebody if they try to attack them? I assume your tarantula is probably not going to have very good attack and damage modifiers, but might have a decent poisoning or paralyzing ability. I don't know anything about tarantulas. Do they poison? I don't remember. I'll give you the example here. I was in the process of building a stat block for uh, my dog. I didn't end up finishing it, but the one thing that I thought was really cool was a feature I called zoomies. I think any dog owner knows what zoomies are. And basically, it's just the ability to use a bonus action to return to the location where she started the turn. <laughs> so uh, essentially, I think she has higher speed, probably like 40 or something. So if she goes... 
dash action 80 feet that way. So you can use a bonus action to come all 80 feet back, right? Zoom, back and forth. That's figuring out your stat blocks. And you, all you had to do is think about your pet for a second. The other one they like to do is what does your character page look like or your friends? What classes are you or would you be if you were in this world? What would your abilities look like? What proficiencies would you have? Like these are kinds of things that you can actually test on a regular basis. Mind you, some of those things require a little bit of like actual testing if you want to be super accurate, but you don't have to be super accurate. We're going into a D&D world. No one's stats are going to be above like a 12 most likely. And there are legitimate rules in the rule books that kind of allow you to test your own stats. So for example, the jumping rules would allow you to test your own strength modifier depending on how high or how far you can jump given 10 feet to start or without it. But here's the one that you can do on your own whenever you want. Get out your phone, get your timer, hold your breath, and time it. If you get to a minute, your constitution score is 10. And for every 30 seconds after that, it goes up. And you can look into the DMG about that. It's a real thing about holding your breath. That's a pretty direct way to calculate your own constitution score. So there you go. All you do is take the living things around you and give them stat blocks or character sheets. Super easy. You're going to get used to things quickly. The other one that you can do is uh, play video games. And I'm not even joking. If you take an analytical mindset while you're playing a video game, you'll get way better at planning your encounters and running the game in general. In the game you're playing, how are challenges presented compared to your abilities in-game? In a Mario game, are they going to present you with a jump that you can't make? No. Is it going to be the most difficult jump? It could be. But you're still going to be able to make it about skill, not necessarily about whether or not the turtle shell fell at the right time. Koopa shell. I'm such a doofus. How does the game give you hints about what's coming up? Like if it's teaching certain mechanics about either the world or enemies. Look at all the Mega Man games. They did a very good job of doing that. If you can tell your party what's coming up without telling your party what's coming up, that's going to make for a much better dungeon or encounter. Let's say you walk into a dungeon with your team, right? Odds are good the first thing that happens is not going to be six ancient dragons meeting you at the door who only want to kill you. If that's going to show up later, you'll probably have some hints. Oh, there's some smaller dragons around here. Oh, they're all different colors. Hey, why is there a line of treasure? You know what I mean? Like, it's going to show you those things. Also, the first trap that you run into in a dungeon probably isn't going to be deadly. It's that kind of thing. Also, in the game you're playing, what can you do outside of the main content? Are there fun side characters or like the crafting type things? Listen, every D&D game is new. These elements need to exist in each one no matter how experienced the players are. You don't want to inform them right away. Hey, by the way, I'm going to try and kill you you should probably give them the hints in-game. It helps the immersion. And plus, any game you play might be inspiration for a new campaign, just like I built a Halloween campaign based on Black Ops Zombies. And the last everyday task that I'm going to recommend is watch movies and TV. <laughs> Take on that same analytical mindset. There's so much you can learn from it. Uh, I'll just give you a few example genres. If you're watching action movies or TV shows, what makes for a good fight? How can you hold the tension in your game? How do you keep emotions high? And how do you make an audience feel how you want them to feel about certain characters? Do you want them to hate a certain villain? How do you do that? Do you want them to love a certain hero? 
How do you do that? What things can those characters do to make those feelings? A little more obvious is the fantasy genre. You can learn a little more knowledge-wise in those. Study the governments. How do those kingdoms work with those different sorts of trade routes and, and relationships to other things? How does that all work in a fantasy environment where there is magic and multiple different species of humanoid? Get used to the vocabulary they use. It's really immersive if you say, Brithy, how can we, you know, just like using that terminology, getting used to that instead of saying, hey, yo, what's up, dude? You want to go uh, fight this dragon real quick? It's going to help you there. Um, and understanding the relationships between those civilizations. Orcs hate elves. Elves are higher up than all other species. Dwarves don't care about anybody as long as there's rocks, right? Like, you can figure those things out. That'll help you in-game. A lot of the fantasy stereotypes are the same in all fantasy genres. It's just kind of feeling used to them. And, of course, you could always watch a rom-com hashtag feelings. <laughs> but seriously, um, what makes you like a character? In rom-coms, there's always the two characters you want to end up together in the end. Why do you want them to end up together? Why is that? Think about that. Incorporate that into your games. And what makes you want things for certain people? Why do you care if the main character ends up with the love interest? Why do you care about that? Well, figure it out. The real deal is, in all of this, inspiration is all around you. You don't need dedicated time to study a whole bunch to grow as a DM. If you want to get better as a DM, all you have to do is stay in the DM mindset every day. We all have a lot of decisions to make when it comes to building our character, as anybody who's built a character knows. And the hardest part about it is knowing what is good and what is not good. Thematically, you should take whatever makes sense for your character. But if you're the kind of person who still wants to be, to a certain extent, effective when it comes to whatever you're trying to do, as opposed to just building a character and letting it run, then there's some stuff to think about. And here's the hard part. If you know everything about the game, if you've memorized every line of every book, it's pretty easy to know what's good and what's not, especially because if you have that much time on your hands to memorize all of that stuff, you've probably read a lot about it online and have heard a lot of other people doing a lot of math. It's just a lot to think about. What I like to do instead of knowing some crazy thing is compare my choices to each other. So in, let's say, a Call of Duty game, you get to choose every gun in the game. Which one do you want? Compare the stats, find the thing you want to be good at, be good at that, right? That kind of thing. So let's get into it. The main thing here is the basics of balance. Let's just talk about how games balance certain things to keep everything kind of fair. The first thing we're going to talk about is cost to gain. Uh, the higher the cost, the greater the gain. Makes sense, right? As you are looking at something, compare what the cost and the gain are to what the cost and the gain are for another option. Let's say you're looking at a spell that is a first-level spell, and it deals 2d8 of damage. Cool. So there's your baseline for now. What if you look at another spell, and it deals 4d8 damage at first level? Higher gain, lower cost. That's good. The more you can find the kinds of things where you're not using as much, but you're getting more, that's a big one. Keep an eye on that. The next thing you want to look at is power. Now, power is difficult because it's not just about raw damage output, but that is part of it. Uh, power can come in the form of 
damage, control, defense, etc., etc. There are many things. We'll talk about those three, though. Damage is basically just your raw damage output. Keep in mind, if it's area of effect damage and it hits multiple things, while you're only rolling once, it's dealing that damage multiple times. Add all that up. AoE is really good. Uh, if it's single target, well, you just focus on how high of a roll you can get. And to give the example, I'm going to compare cantrips right now, and we're going to go ahead and go through that exercise. Shocking Grasp. It's an action. It's a touch spell, so you have to be right next to somebody. It deals a D8 of lightning damage, and the target can't take reactions until its next turn. Let's just call that a baseline for now. What are the things that we don't like about it? Well, you have to be right next to him, so that's unfortunate. Uh, the damage is okay, and the effect is pretty good. Now let's go to Firebolt. It's also an action. Uh, the range is 120 feet, and it deals a D10 of fire damage. That's more damage, that's better range, that's great, but when you hit something, it can still take reactions before its next turn. So there's your balance. How about Chill Touch? It's an action, it's 120 feet, and it's a D8 of damage. And if you hit something with it, it can't heal until its next turn. And furthermore, it deals more damage against Undead. So we're actually dealing less damage than Firebolt, but they can't heal. Technically speaking, if your target has a heal, then the damage you dealt to it is way lower because it's either healing it back all the way or dampening it. Well, this D8 can't be healed until its next turn. And if you're against Undead, way better. And of course, Eldritch Blast. It's an action. It's 120 foot range. It's a D10 of force damage. And, and when it levels up, it doesn't just increase in damage because all these cantrips do increase in damage, but it shoots multiple times. Now, that pretty much just sounds like Firebolt, right? There's no difference except for one's fire damage, one's force damage. What makes Eldritch Blast amazing is that Warlocks, who are the only ones who can do it, learn invocations to make Eldritch Blast better. So, again, it's just kind of that sort of thing. And we won't go through that in detail for everything, but I just wanted to give you that up front so you could see what we're talking about. That's damage. Control is how long or how well it works. That's basically all you're looking for. Does it stun somebody for 20 minutes? Does it stun or does it root or does it stagger or does it blind? What does it do and how long does it happen? That's all you're looking for in control. And defense is more just raw input. How much more can you take, right? If you are having how much damage you take on a regular basis, how much better is that than something that just subtracts a flat 10 damage from whatever you take, right? Just compare those things. The thing to keep track of is a little bit of two of those categories is the same as more of one of those categories. So a spell that does a little bit of damage and controls a little bit is quote-unquote on par with a spell that defends like a medium amount. It's just deciding what you want it to do and comparing it that way. Maybe you have to look for a different cost to get the effect you're looking for. The other thing is punishment and reward. One of the things that game designers like to do is allow you to choose to punish yourself in order to get a different reward. Uh, punishment and reward also goes for if you're going to, let's say, play a wizard uh, and you want to have high wisdom, you're allowed to do that. They don't say you can't do that. You might get punished, though, because those are stats you could have put into intelligence. That kind of thing. It's very similar to cost and gain, but not necessarily because you're not paying for it every time. It's more of a regular thing. 
So it's the difference between what do you not get and does it outweigh what you do get. And let's just compare weapons real quick. So just the longsword and the rapier, right? Both of them are a D8 of damage. The longsword is for strength. The rapier is for dex. The rapier still has valid damage, but the longsword can technically deal more damage because you can two-hand it. So the difference here is strength and dex. If you play a rogue, you can still use a longsword. Odds are good you're not going to be putting a lot of points into strength, though. So you're going to do better with a rapier. That's the freedom they give you. You are allowed to take a punishment if you find a way to reward yourself for it. Both of those weapons are very balanced because high strength just gets you damage. So it's natural that it would deal more damage. But high dex also gets you better initiative and higher AC. So the rapier doesn't have to deal as much damage because you've got other things going for you. And this also brings up a good point. The other balancing mechanism that is used is versatility versus power. Something that gets strong is just as good as something that fills a hole, depending on what you want to accomplish. So if something does 12 things, kind of okay, I think I said this before, it's just as good as something that does two things incredibly well. It just depends on if you're trying to balance or be strong. Those are decisions that you have to make. And so the two things, of course, that come to mind when you're talking about decisions to make are features and spells. For features, you want to take a look at how many times a day can you do it, and of course, all of the balance above. In comparison, you want to go with the other options that you have to be obtained at a certain level. If you're looking ahead and you say, okay, I'm hitting level three of fighter, which martial archetype do I want to choose? Look at all of the level three feats that you get, which sounds like the best, and go ahead and look ahead. What's the best martial archetype later on? You can compare all those things to each other and look at the end and say, okay, these are things I want to accomplish. This one deals the most damage. That's what I want. Go. Super easy to make those comparisons if you know what you're looking for. Spells? A little more complicated because there's a ton of them, but it's basically the same. The main thing you're looking at is the spell slot level. How much of a fuel canister do you have to put into that rocket before it goes off and does its thing? And then, of course, you compare the balancing that we talked about before. It's all the same. It's just knowing what you're looking at ahead of time. So I know there was a lot in this, but basically let's break it down. You want to analyze your character options and make sure you choose the right one and the best one. Look at all of them and see which one does what you want to do more. At the end of the day, you can play whatever character you want. But if you're looking for that effectiveness, that little bit of analysis will go a long way. Hey, thanks for listening. If you wouldn't mind, go ahead and leave a review and follow wherever you listen to your podcast. And you can also join my Discord, which is in my description. And go ahead and check out DungeonManDragonMaster.com, and I will see you next time. That was the Dragon Master. Oh.